So this is a, a series that I've entitled like eight. We're going through a couple of the chapter eights in the, in the New Testament and just asking God to show us and give us new lenses on, on how to see life, how to see church, how to see each other. Um, I had a vision of just the eight and then flipped on its side and became lenses that it's almost like when you go to the optometrist and they're going to show you a bunch of lenses and it's like, how does it look now? How does it look now? What if you put this on? What if you put this on? What if you put this lens on? And we've seen how through John 8, there's a, there's a lens of truth that we need. And we need to see truth around us. And we need to understand what God is actually doing and what's behind like life. And then through 1 Corinthians 8, there's a lens of humility that we need to learn to put on. And despite the truth that we receive, to actually act with humility and, and grace towards those around us and invite them in to the fullness of what God is doing. And then today we're going to go through Matthew chapter 8, which is it's a continuation on a series we did most of last year of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches and he, he wraps it up and they're amazed at his authority. And then in Matthew chapter 8, he steps out and he actually displays that authority in with like power over sickness and calming storms and setting dem, like demonized people free. And it's, it's this strange mix of things. But in 8, 9 and 10, we see how Jesus' power is on display and his authority is on display. So today there's, there's a lens of authority that we, we need to actually understand. So I want to start just by reading. I'm going to read quite a bit. Um, so just stick with me. So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Lord, I pray that you just bless your word, that you'd help us to, to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you are saying. That there's power in your word, there's power in your truth, there's power in what you want to say to us. Let everybody not feel like they're second-class citizens, that they don't, need, they don't understand, they can't make sense of this, but actually they would understand that you can speak to them through your word. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. What does it mean to, be, to be teach with authority? What does it mean to be amazed at his authority? When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus' willingness, his heart, it shows us his willingness to set us free, to, set, to cleanse us. Leprosy was a symbol of those that would be excluded, the sin that's excluded them from the camp. He's actually saying, I want to include you. If you feel like an outsider, Jesus wants to set you free and bring you in as an insider. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and is in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority. 
In other translations it is, for I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feasts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it. And his servant was healed at that very hour. The centurion, the Roman oppressors of Israel at the time, were included, where even their servants were healed. Even those guys were intrigued by it. If you read in Luke, this is the same guy that was intrigued enough to build the synagogue. And the Jewish leaders were actually coming on his behalf saying, this guy is worthy. He was creating unity between an oppressed nation and their oppressor. He was setting them free. He was bringing like racial unity, the biggest divides we can think. Jesus was showing his authority over that. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. He heals a leper, those that are outside. He heals a Roman like centurion servant, these great like divides. And then he heals a mother-in-law, like even bigger divide. It's like you think of enemies. That's, no, that's not true. My mother-in-law is amazing. Um, but straight away he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And straight away she gets up to serve. He wants to heal you and set you free from everything holding you back so that you can be equipped and ready to actually serve in his kingdom. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. This whole thing is connecting to Isaiah 53. It's showing us that the longings of the Israelite nation was fulfilled in Jesus. And he's bringing like healing and life and setting them free. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. That sometimes you say, yes, I'll follow you. But as long as this gets fixed, I'll follow you as long as you heal me of this. Follow me as long as I have enough money and this. It's like he doesn't promise that. He shows us the power over sickness, over everything. He can do everything. That doesn't mean he's going to do everything you want. If you have conditions on following him, you're going to be disappointed. Because he's going to show you that those conditions are your idols holding you back. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without a warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. There's the power over nature, over storms. And it, like, it's amazing, he can calm the storm. But even more amazing, he can sleep in the midst of the storm. Because he knew his father was watching over him. Whatever storm you're going through, you can sleep. You can have peace in the midst of the storm, because nothing can touch you apart from God allowing it. And... 
actually, if you're walking with God, if you're trusting Him, there is nothing that can touch you until you have accomplished everything God has for you. Nothing. We can rest that actually God has got you. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came, coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. When the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus had gone, he crossed over the river, he went to the people that weren't their own anymore. You can see that because the Israelites weren't allowed to eat pork. These guys were farming with pigs. They, they were intentionally, had removed themselves from the Israelite community. It's like, these are actually a, a community of people that were outside of God away from God and he went intentionally to go and reach out to them and when he set them free and he had brought freedom to these two men they were upset with him because they had damaged he had damaged their bank balance basically it's like he had killed their pigs that they were farming with so he's like I like the fact that you have power over these things that are oppressing us but actually if it affects my bank balance I don't want anything to do with this I'd love it. I'd come to church and be set free and I, I'd love the community that's there, but oof, don't ask me to contribute. Yeah. Don't ask it to cost me anything. Anyway, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, take heart, son, your, sons are forgi- your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God who had given such authority to men. To know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He brought healing. Not He brought healing so we could have the perfect life here and now. Not that we could live forever in this state. Not that we could have everything we ask of. But so that we can know that He has the power to forgive sins. He brought healing and He demonstrated His power over sickness, over demonic oppression, over the storms. He displayed His power and authority so we could understand who Jesus is. We could understand who God is. Bear with me. I, these slides might not be in order because, to be honest, I don't know what exactly I'm going to say today and where we're going to go. At this. There's a lot. There's stuff that I want to give you. Just a framework to understand some of what it means, what authority means, what, what this means for your life. So, oh. So authority. Authority's definition is literally just the legitimate right, power, and ability to make decisions, to enforce rules and guide others. It is the ability to influence and lead, to effect change and bring about order. In the, in, 
The Greek word is actually exousia. It's the right, the power, the ability, the mandate to exercise authority and influence in the world. Sometimes the word is actually translated power because we're looking for like the power to actually bring about change. That's what I think of when it's like, oh, somebody's teaching with authority. They're standing confidently and they're declaring stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but that might be wrong. One of the most powerful, like, authoritative speakers we know, it's like it's going to sound bad, but Hitler, he used to stand up and preach and teach and declare and just, like, nobody else. He had an, a, almost like a demonic authority in the way that he would speak. They would captivate people and it would rouse them and stir them because of that people followed him even to the worst of things. So you can have what seems like authority because you're confident, but you could be incredibly confident of something that is wrong. And so the, the, the question is, how do we actually find what's right? And that's it. We, we discussed it a little bit last, last week where the kingdom is coming and it's breaking in and we, we're starting to see the overlap and we're starting to understand it. And we got this one where it's, we understand that God has a vision for church and for life and for what the kingdom should look like. But we, we're trying to find this together and trying to say like, okay, who has the authority to say this is who we are, this is what we believe. And you have to believe exactly the same as I believe or this church believes. No, God has all authority. And it's about us communicating what we do believe and together finding a better vision for the way to live life. Sorry, this seems a bit intense. But I wanted to start by what, what are the authorities in your life? Who has the right to tell you how to live? Who, who are the people you go to when, you, when you're not sure of what to do? what the right thing is to do. Where do you go when you're sick? You go to a doctor. Why? Because they have studied to be an authority in that one area. But the reality is our trust in authority has been so damaged, we don't know who to trust anymore. So what's the first thing you do when you go to a doctor and he gives you a diagnosis? Get a second opinion. That culture has infected a little bit of everything. There's, there's, there's validity to it because we understand the, the fallibility of man and we understand that what we do know is flawed. So we have to sometimes get a, like a variety of counselors to try and figure out and discern what the truth is. And the same thing is with biblical truth. The same thing is with truth of life. It's like you go to a psychologist to try and help you understand to deal with the things that are really affecting you. But is that the valid authority? Is that the person that you really want to trust? We don't trust a GP to teach us, to tell us how to deal with a cold or a flu, but we'll trust psychologists to tell us how to deal with our entire life. And the reality is our life is far more affected by our connection with God and our spirituality than what it is with our daily routine and our, just our understanding and our relationship with our dad or our mom or our, our marriage. And it, we need to find valid authorities. I'll come back to this now. Give you guys an insight. So this is my way of understanding it. There's supposed to be healthy authorities in our life. And there's hierarchies of authority. So if we start at the top, God is the ultimate authority. 
We understand who God is, what He is like, what He has shown us through His Word. The problem is, to understand God's Word, we need to interpret it. And then there's many different interpretations and a variety of like interpretations, so it becomes a little bit messy. Then we get into church, and church is supposed to represent something of an, an authority in our life because it's people that have followed God and searched God. So we should have leaders there that can be an authority to us. Not the ultimate authority, but can be an authority on, on the ways that lead to life. And then this tradition that we've inherited a church history for 2,000 years and a people of God's history for 4,000 to 6,000 years of people that have been wrestling and walking with God that we have inherited the, like the treasures that they have mined. That's church tradition. And then we've got just a community here that actually it's not just about me. It's, it's about a community together we can find life. I think like one way to, we can describe this and you can illustrate this is who wants to be a millionaire? Whenever somebody was on there, what did they get? They got lifelines where it's like, man, when you weren't sure what to do, you got like a 50-50. It's like, okay, cool. Give, like take away some of the options. At least give me a 50-50. It's like, okay, this one or this one. And there's, there's something of that. But then there's also what to phone a friend. We, we, can, we can phone a friend and we can get one, one person's advice that we really trust on this because we've walked with them. And then there's also, the, like, we can poll the audience. Like, and sometimes the audience, like, clearly knows what's right and wrong. That's the time to trust them when it's like you poll the audience and, like, 80% say this. But sometimes the audience, like, comes back with, like, every answer is equal. It's like, then we don't trust them because the reality is them, they're not sure. And we can see that. And there's something of that in like church where there's authorities in our life that we can put in place. And then there's society where government is an authority in our life. But I mean, like I said, we distrust our education system. We distrust our doctors. How much more? We distrust our politicians. And like we're supposed to be able to trust it. We're supposed to have a legal system. We're supposed to pray for our leaders because they're supposed to be looking after us. And we need to stir up a trust again, even if they're untrustworthy. Because we have to trust them and pray for them to trust that God can actually turn hearts and then raise up people to step into those roles because otherwise there's going to be no solution. It's like if we're waiting for somebody else to fix the problem, I think we're going to be waiting for a long time. And then family can also be an authority. It's like in marriages, in, like in parental relationships. Sometimes I have to tell my kids, this is what we do. No, but why? What about? Because I say so. And they want the whole explanation, but sometimes they need to know that actually it's because I said. And I can't give them an explanation. Sometimes they are not ready for the explanation. And they just have to trust me. The beauty of this is that when you're struggling here, you can actually appeal to a higher authority. Because like the bottom layers are not infallible. If there's something going wrong in your marriage, you can appeal to the government. You can appeal to actually say, I need help. I need intervention here. If a husband is not operating the way he should, if there's abuse, you can appeal to a higher authority for intervention. And we can do that in all of these. So that it's like as it goes down, the infallibility almost like rises. And we need to be able to like handle that. One thing on biblical authority, we, we like to think that the Bible is just like this ultimate thing. The Bible is not an authority in and of itself but the means by which the authority of God speaks to us. It's anti-right. It's saying that the Bible itself is not, 
is not the authority. The Bible is our most authoritative word, but it's about pointing us to God. God is the authority. God is the one who decides right and wrong, and he has communicated it through his word. Okay. The reason why is because we're building something together, and we need to learn how to figure out these differences between us. We need to figure out that when I have a viewpoint and it's different from yours, how do we resolve this? How do we resolve this tension? I heard an incredible conversation with a Canadian psychologist and he's discussing and they're debating something and he uses, he shares some of his like incredible wisdom of what he's learned and it's like, I, I can't validate that because you are so far ahead of me. Sometimes you'll see this in, in church where it's like, I'll get up and I'll say, this is this Greek word that's amazing. And then it transformed your perspective on life. And it's like, you, you don't understand because you don't understand the Greek. What that does is it disqualifies you from actually investigating it. And it empowers and it props me up because I'm, I'm grabbing hold of an authority that is ahead of you. So he uses it and he's like, when he's having this conversation, he says, I don't want to use an argument from authority because it stops the conversation. Like instead, I want to appeal to what everybody can actually understand. It's like in the Bible, it talks about the Berean church where they had their Bibles. And when somebody would preach, they would take what was preached and they would say, I'm going to go check it with the word because I can, because I don't want to like force i don't want to use coercion i don't want to use like my power to abuse your conscience so that you will fall in line with what we are asking as a church i want to invite you to say this is what i see god is asking of us and then as you do that and as i do that and as we do that we will find more of what god has for us but in a way that strengthens your conscience and strengthens your walk with god does that make sense it's like because you can read your Bibles. You have English translations. That's why I read as much of the text as what I can. Because I want to show you that you can do this. You don't need me as an intermediary between you and God. You don't need my prayers for you because we are priesthood of all believers. There's, there's is the reality of leadership. There is the reality of roles. But those are roles of service that as I serve you, we can all be built up together. Together we're going to find... A way of building together. And this is almost a, a picture of what, what we can start to build on. This is not exactly what, what we believe. It's just a picture of helping you understand that there's certain things we completely agree on. On Jesus Christ. And the person and work of who he is. What he's done for us. Then we easily agree on the Trinity. Creation for redemption. Like the second coming. We know that he's going to come back again. And then the higher we go. The more we can start disagreeing. And that's okay, because the higher up on this we go, like, we can disagree gracefully with each other. Often the church has done the opposite. Where the higher up on this we go, the more specific it gets, the more specific our church gets. And you have to agree with me on this one minute detail of church, so that we can work together, and so we can love each other, and so that we can be there for each other.
So can you just read this for me, please, Warren? <laughs> no, this is just to give you a picture and encourage you to go and search this on YouTube, the Bible Project, Book of Matthew. They'll give you an eight-minute or two eight-minute videos explaining the whole book, how it lays out, what it means, a big, broad picture of what God is actually doing. And because Matthew was a gospel that was written to Jewish believers... So because of that, you see often there's lots of quotes from the Old Testament. And that might mean nothing to you, but it meant something to them because they were awaiting a Messiah that would come and restore the kingdom. And Matthew's whole thing was to show them that Jesus was that Messiah. And then Moses was this incredible figure for them who had given them the law. He had shown them he was their authority because he had given them the law of what, how they were supposed to live. Their answer to the question of who has the right to tell you what to do, they would say, Moses, he's given us the law. He's given us five books. He's given us the Torah. And then Matthew writes his gospel to give an introduction. And then he gives five books to try and show you that this is the new Moses. They were, and then they were waiting, like, actually, how, how do we restore the presence of God to the people? That, that's what set Israel apart. And then Matthew saying, no, Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. So it's like the three different parts where he's trying to show us. And then this Matthew 8 to 10 just falls into that section. And once you know that, you can start making sense of it. Then it doesn't become just a nice little story about somebody getting healed. And that makes you think like, wow, I'm not healed. So this book is rubbish. And it's like, no, understand the bigger picture. What is Jesus doing? What was he trying to do? So the whole section of 8 to 10 is displaying Jesus' authority. And he does it through nine different miracles. And he, he comes and displays his power in, in healing, in setting people free and calming the storm. Because he's showing how in that first Venn diagram, how the kingdom is breaking out. And it's starting to infect and affect our lives. And it's breaking in slowly. It's like there's what they call a the inaugural eschatology. It's like they've, they've started the end things. What, where the world is finally going to go, where everything is restored and there's life and there's goodness and there's justice and there's peace, that has started. But we haven't seen the fullness of it yet. So the very clever man, not like me, named Max Weber, he, he studied like, he's a, a German sociologist in 1864, he was born somewhere there. He has different types of authority, where he says in the past there used to be traditional authority, where it was just assumed that there were kings. For all of human history, like the most successful, the most powerful were just the guys that were given the right to lead. In Netherlands, there's still the case where it's like those that are from the family of like Orange, of they just, they're the kings. And then in England, you, you've got kind of a tension there where we've just had an incredible queen pass away. And then some people were quite upset that now it's like, I don't want to have to submit to like King Charles. I don't vote for this because the individual like autonomy has grabbed hold of our lives so much that we think I deserve the right to decide how I'm going to do this. So this Max Weber, he said, as humanity progressed and into modernism and through the Enlightenment, we, we shifted away from a traditional understanding of authority. And we've been influenced by a rationalism 
to try and like say, actually, no, I, I want to trust that charismatic leader that's showing me a different way. And one of the, the main guys he highlights is Napoleon, who, who was raised up in a time where there was a lot of confusion. And it was like, that's somebody I could get behind. And I said it before, that's what we're in at the moment. There's a, there's a turmoil around the world where there's a breaking down of the culture and society. And because of that, we're turning to strong men. We're turning to people who have like, I don't know what the answer is, but that person seems confident, so I'm going to follow them. And like I said in the beginning, be cautious of that confidence because it may seem powerful. And it's like there's a temptation to say that that power can get me what I want. But actually, the authority and the confidence, the power we need is from God. So there's a shift. There's a, there's a traditional authority. There's charismatic authority. And then there's legal slash rational. And that's almost our, our, our attempt has been to try and think about everything rationally and put in place our own legal system so that together we can think about life and all of the problems we have. So we'll come up with laws to fix it. And I'm an accountant, so I've seen how tax law works and everything we try and do to try and make sure that all the loopholes are like fixed gets abused. There's no laws that you can write it neatly enough that humanity won't try and find a way to get around it. In soccer, you can see it as well that they're trying to fix the offside rule and nobody understands it now. Used to be that like only women didn't understand the offside rule. Now no one does because they've changed it. See, equal like offense. So you're all offended with me now. In our, like our attempt to use our rationality to understand this hierarchy, we've actually put our rationality at the top. I think God's given us rationality, our, our understanding, our minds. We have been gifted with it to try and make sense of how this all works together. And, but we've believed a lie, which is the oldest lie in human history, is that we can make it up on our own. That God is actually hiding something from us. He's robbing us of what we could have. And we've ended up putting ourselves up there. And then that filters down where it's like, if God was good, then this wouldn't happen. If God was good, then my kid wouldn't get sick. If God was good, then my, my finances wouldn't look like this. If God was good, then my husband wouldn't do this. My wife wouldn't do this. My dad wouldn't have done that. My uncle wouldn't have done that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a message just before we started today of just an incredibly like terrible situation where it's like, clearly no God because of this evil situation. And I'm like, evil doesn't disprove God because evil, like, the fact that there is evil begs the question of why there is good and evil. And evil actually becomes the strongest argument that there has to be God because we are so offended by evil. There has to be an answer. There has to be something better than this. That dissonance that gets created, that the world is not as it should be, is a prophetic stirring inside of us and a longing for the kingdom. We look at it and say, this church is not what it should be. I don't get loved the way I should. I don't get cared for the way that I should. We don't connect the way that we should. That's a prophetic stirring from God. And the answer is for us to take one step in fulfilling that answer, to actually play our part in changing it. It's not to set ourselves above it and be the ultimate authority to question it. 
Because that's what we end up doing. We question God and we question the Bible and we question the church and we say like, I don't agree with that. I am the authority. Not saying, I'm not sure I agree with that, but that is an authority in my life. So I'm going to see what's actually happening there. And I'm going to investigate like, maybe I'm not sure what the church is doing, but I have to go appeal to a higher authority to understand why. And if you're not sure the church is doing what it should and you're coming with a higher authority because the Bible says this, then I'll open doors. Like I'll listen to absolutely everything because I want everything that God has for us as a church. And the same with society. Actually, we should be able to appeal to a higher authority. But the way we've structured society at the moment is we've tried to create a level playing field where we can all actually come with our beliefs. And... There's a temptation to try and say, no, we need to set up a Christian government under this. And I don't think that's going to work because then we're going to get back to forcing people to believe and act in ways they don't want to yet. And the whole premise of Christianity is actually to transform your heart and to invite you in. So it has to be willing. And for that to be the case, it can't be forced. So these are the types of authority. And then there's types of obedience to these different authorities. So in traditional authority, where it's a king, a ruler, you obey because it's your duty. It's the right thing to do. When there's a charismatic person, they'll, they'll lead to persuasion. But in a legal sphere, there's consequences. Those can be ben like beneficial or like very like, I don't know, it's either reward or punishment. And the amazing thing is, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these three types of authority. That is what Matthew is actually trying to communicate. So I, I look at this like Max Weber, and he's like regarded as this incredible sociology that has discovered this thing in 1864 or like around the turn of the century at 1900. And he, he discovered this and he studied all of human history just to figure out something that Matthew had described 2,000 years before that as Jesus being the ultimate king, actually God with us. Jesus being the charismatic leader, the one who's going to initiate and inaugurate this new kingdom. And Jesus being the new Moses that's actually giving us a way of life through the Beatitudes, through his teaching, through what he's actually shown us. Because in eight and nine, he actually goes through and he displays his authority through through teaching, through healing a leper, through the healing the centurion, healing Peter's mother-in-law, he calming the storm, demon-possessed guys are healed, the paralytic is raised to life, he actually calls Matthew, he, he heals a 12-year-old girl, and he heals a woman that's been suffering for 12 years, he heals blind men, and he heals somebody who is mute, and through that he's actually offending the religious leaders, he's bringing outsiders in and he's setting us free from sin, he's setting us free from all oppression from Romans and he's actually making us into one people, he's healed the mother-in-law to serve and he's healing you so that you can actually serve, he's showing his power over nature, he's showing power over all foreign forces that are coming against him, he's healing our disability, he's healing us and setting us free from sin, he's changing our public opinion by calling Matthew who was looked at as like somebody who was a traitor, he was like siding with the enemy. It doesn't matter whether you've been suffering for a long time or a short time, he can bring healing. He wants to give us new sight and he wants to empower us to actually be able to speak. 
So I want to just so these three verses. Says he's teaching. He was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Jesus' authority was declared. For I too am a man under authority. Say, like the centurion recognized the authority in Jesus, and he realized he understood that actually there are authorities in the world, and I'm under them. And Jesus' authority was displayed to the world. And then they glorified God who had given such authority to men. We sometimes write this off because ah, it was Jesus that was doing it. But we know that Jesus did it by the power of the Spirit to show us what it is like for us to walk with God. So his, his authority was actually dispersed to us. In Matthew 10, he actually empowers the apostles to go out and do what he had done. And he has given us authority to step out and actually go and take this authority with us. So I don't stand up here and speak authoritatively because I'm clever and I've worked all this out. Some of what I've said today can be wrong. But what I do know is the authority of the word that has declared promises over you. And there in my opinion, there are not promises to guarantee healing. There is the power that God can heal. But there's not the guarantee that every time you will be. But there are promises that if you believe, your sins are forgiven. So that if you come to Jesus, you will be given eternal life. If you come to him, he will give you comfort. Because he says, I will give you rest. He, he comes and he transforms you. So there's some things we can come in and say, I guarantee you, this is what God is like. I know what he is doing. I know the future he has for you. For eternity, he is going to love you and care for you and be there for you. He does have the power to change situations now, but he doesn't give us a, a direct promise that it's going to be all fantastic and great now. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he is coming alongside us to help us carry the burdens that are there. And he's given us a church to carry the burdens together. Last thing, uh, talking about the royalty and the incredible picture of authority is the crown. And we talk about like King Charles taking it up now. And there's an amazing story of Queen Victoria who actually was longing for one day that Jesus would come back. And she was hoping that, because she, she regarded her, her role as queen, as a God-given authority. It wasn't a privilege. It wasn't like, oh, I'm better than everybody. Because with that authority comes responsibility. And we have to take up that responsibility and steward it well. So she knew that this was a responsibility that was given to her. And the reason she was excited for Jesus to come back, especially in her lifetime, was because she wanted to lay down her crown at his feet. Not because it's like, ah oh man, I hope he comes back because my life sucks and it just needs to figure it out. I think of that sometimes. It's like, I want Jesus to come back, but I also want to see my kids like grow up and I want to enjoy this life and I want to see the fullness of it. And like there's something of us like, man, I, I want 
I want out of here, but I also I enjoy this and I love this so much. And I'm torn in between the two, but there's something of Queen Victoria saying, you know what? I can't wait to be able to lay everything that God has given me down at his feet. And I think that's what God's inviting us into today. To understand the authority of God that he's been displayed and declared. And then the authority that he's given us. To actually step into the roles that God has asked of us. Not because I want position and I want power and I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do that. But actually so we can someday come back and just say, Jesus, thank you for everything. I give it to you. I lay down what you've given me and I give it to you. So we're going to have communion now. Because there's a picture. This was Jesus. Like, it talks about him being king. He had every privilege. He was God. And he gave up everything he had for us. He set aside every privilege that he had. All the intimacy that he had with the Father. He, he gave it up for our benefit. He endured suffering. So we don't have to endure suffering for eternity. Jesus, thank you for your display of authority. Thank you for giving up privileges that that entailed for you, for us. Thank you for laying down your body, for giving up your blood so that we can be invited in to the fellowship with you. So because of that, we can be confident of the promises of God for us. That is how we know that you are good. That is how we can be confident of this. That is how I can say authoritatively, come to Jesus and he will transform your world. Come to him for your future. Come to him for your meaning. Come to him for your purpose in life. And you won't be disappointed. Thank you that you are teaching us to put authority in its rightful place in our lives. For us to understand this, to understand what it means to walk in the power of God. To submit to the power of God, to submit to the authority of God, to submit to the authority of the word, to submit to the authority of the church. Lord, I pray that you'd lead us and guide us, that that would not be abused, that it would not be forced that you would teach us how to walk with humility to stand and be the pillar and the buttress of truth as the church as we call to be you teach us to walk in humility and love for one another we would be a kingdom or a church marked by truth a church marked by humility a church marked by godly authority people would be amazed at the people in, in this church how do they walk with such authority because we know whose we are we know how God's authority plays a part in our life I thank you that you're bringing order into people's lives and into their minds and into their hearts now
He's showing them the next steps and the lenses that they need to put on. In Jesus' name. Amen.